We are not losing sight of something vital, but they must not be mistaken for the real thing. We must bear this in mind in what follows. Once we fully grasp the biblical story and its focus on Jesus' crucifixion, we will find as a by-product that many of the puzzles that have kept theologians awake at nights and have made non-specialists sigh with frustration can be put together in a new way. Theology, after all, was made for the sake of the church, not the church for theology. I hope the present book will help ordinary Christians grasp and be grasped by the multifaceted glory of Jesus' cross, rather than getting bogged down in complex and apparently irrelevant problems. The word became flesh, said St. John, chapter 1, verse 14, and Paul described the word of the cross as God's power, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. The flesh and the power are what matter in the end, rather than the pretty patterns of our words. The point of trying to understand the cross better is not so that we can congratulate ourselves for having solved an intellectual crossword puzzle, but so that God's power and wisdom may work in us, through us, and out into the world that still regards Jesus' crucifixion as weakness and folly. Yes, there are puzzles— I shall be addressing them, but Jesus died for our sins, not so that we could sort out abstract ideas, but so that we, having been put right, could become part of God's plan to put his whole world right. That is how the revolution works. At the same time, we have to go on trying to understand. This is not an optional extra. Paul warned the church in Corinth to be little children when it came to evil, but to be grown-ups in their thinking. To go back to the example of cooking, we can all enjoy a well-prepared meal, but unless somebody in the house knows how to cook and something about balanced diets, we risk either obesity or malnutrition, or even food poisoning. The theological equivalents of those may take longer for symptoms to appear, but unless someone in the church, in each Christian gathering, in each generation, is working on deeper understandings of foundational Christian truth— it is perilously easy for individuals and communities to drift away from the life-giving meaning of the gospel itself. We constantly need to press beyond the one-line summaries and the popular slogans. The powerful love of God is so counterintuitive that we easily scale it down in our imagination and memory and develop ways of making ourselves immune to its ultimate and life-changing challenge. Or worse, we distort it and twist it, until we find ourselves saying more or less the opposite of what we ought to mean. Somebody needs to be asking, why? This must, of course, be done humbly and carefully, not arrogantly or scornfully. But the question must be addressed. The dangers of scaling things down, of domesticating or distorting the cross, face all Christians some of the time, and some Christians, especially teachers and preachers, most of the time. Unless we are making the effort to think it all through and understand what Jesus' first followers meant when they said things like, the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Bible, the church as a whole will be vulnerable to the twists and turns of different schemes of interpretation, which can lead into various kinds of spiritual and practical dead ends, or worse. In some cases, people can descend into endless debates about the microscopically small details of interpretation of one or two particular Bible passages. In others, they can generate large abstract schemes full of technical jargon in order to do battle with other large abstract schemes.
At the opposite extreme from both of those engaged positions, of course, people can reassure one another that as long as they know God loves them, nothing else matters that much. Well, it's certainly true that the powerful love of God is central to every aspect of Christian faith. But when that belief is challenged, either by skeptics or by voices within ourselves, we need to look hard not simply at relevant biblical texts, but also at our traditional formulations of what precisely we mean by saying that Jesus died for us. Each generation of Christians and each church in its own way needs to do this. The task is difficult. There are different ways of probing this mystery. On the theological level, which of the theories or models do we prefer, and how does it all work? On the sacramental level, baptism and the Eucharist have both proved controversial. Is this because they are so closely linked to Jesus' death? On the level of preaching and teaching, how can we best articulate?